Hello, and welcome to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. In this episode, we are all about control. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. up front they will control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball believe it or not those examples from popular media are indeed the kinds of control we're talking about that is cognitive control or controlling your thoughts to accomplish something it's when your brain makes decisions based on what you want it to do because of your goals and desires here's how eric schumacher professor in the school of psychology explains it for relatively simple tasks or for tasks that uh, we have a lot of practice, that we've done a lot, uh, there are direct or nearly direct connections from sort of the perceptual system to the motor system. Mm -hmm. So we can make those uh, responses, we can uh, perceive the stimuli and make those responses relatively quickly without a lot of engagement of central processes or Mm -hmm. uh, processes like attention and working memory. Those tasks can be done with little attention, thanks to brain habits and instincts. But what happens when that task becomes a little more difficult? In that case, Schumacher says, Our information processing system is confronted with lots and lots of environmental stimuli, lots and lots of material, and there's uh, many, many different ways you might respond to those uh, stimuli. Mm -hmm. So there are a set of processes in the brain that allow us to uh, winnow down that stimulus response uh, uh, information, the amount of information that's out there, Mm -hmm. uh, so we can uh, make the right response to the stimuli to achieve our goals. Scientists like Schumacher are studying this because it could have an impact on education, work, the military, entertainment, any effort where attention must be paid. Schumacher's goal? To learn as much as possible about cognitive control. It's been his goal for 20 years. Schumacher is the principal investigator for the Cognitive Neuroscience at Tech Research Lab. Using functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, he and his research team chart the areas of the brain involved in the kinds of decision-making for cognitive control. It all goes into helping science explain how the magnificent but messy computer known as our brain deals with responses and commands. Neuroscientists used to think individual areas of the brain acted alone when called upon. Now they believe larger-scale networks of separate brain regions work together during cognitive control. In fact, one of those networks, called the default mode, is involved when we're awake and at rest. That's when we're tempted to take our thoughts internally, and that leads us to a Schumacher study that got plenty of coverage in mainstream media in 2018. Remember Ralphie, the BB gun-loving kid in the 1983 holiday movie A Christmas Story? You know, the one who was always daydreaming in class. Ralphie? Ralph! (laughs) Is there something you want, Ralph? I'm just turning in my theme. Well, you can take your seat now. Ever been caught daydreaming by a teacher, like Ralphie in A Christmas Story? 
Schumacher's 2018 study was sweet revenge for many a former bored grade school student. Schumacher and his team found that daydreaming may be indicative of a more intelligent, more creative mind. We know there's individual differences in the propensity to mind wander. Some people mind wander more than others. Mm-hmm. Can we identify those people and then uh, identify brain network differences associated with that propensity to mind wander? How often do you daydream during work meetings? Schumacher and his team asked that question and others of study participants. Then they were given behavioral tests to measure creativity and something called fluid intelligence, which is closely related to IQ. So we had these behavioral measures related to creativity and related to uh, intelligence and some other measures. And we also uh, collected brain scans to measure the activity in these brain networks that we've talked about. And what we found was that there was a positive relationship between propensity to mind wander and creativity, uh, intelligence, and efficient brain processing. This is why it was particularly popular, is that it's telling a story that people want to hear, right? That, you know, if you find yourself mind wandering all the time, it may be that you have all this excess capacity. Mm. So you're processing the... Professor, you know what he's going to say, so you don't have to listen to him anymore. And that may be true, but of course, there's also a negative aspect to mind wandering. Sure. Right? You're going to miss what yeah. uh, is being said. And so, um, if you find yourself doing well in classes or doing well at your job, uh, and you're also mind wandering, then maybe you're one of these people with extra capacity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're not doing well in classes or you're not, um, uh, uh, getting your work done, then maybe it's a different sort if of If you're still missing what is said right. when you're mind-wandering and you right. can't answer the questions when right. you come back. See, I would like for I would love to take this to my sixth grade teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> who, kept, who kept wondering, what are you looking at out the window, Renee? And, and tell them, look, I'm just I'm more efficient in how I'm I'm listening and how I'm, I'm paying attention. You could have said, I'm waiting for you to tell me something I don't know. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Which would have sent me right to the principal's office. Gaylord Mitty, the riverboat gambler. And in real life, Walter Mitty, the lovable hentech dreamer. Sometimes Walter can't tell where the dream ends and where the nightmare begins. An earlier Schumacher study related to another aspect of cognitive control involved different nightmare scenarios, the kind you might find in suspenseful movies. That's funny. What? That plane's dusting crops where there ain't no crops. The U.S. government's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, supported Schumacher's 2015 research. The military and intelligence agencies are very interested in how the brain responds to certain stimuli and temptations on its attention and the effect on decision-making. A Washington Post story on this research said defense officials wanted to see if it could lead to better, more trustworthy ways to relay vital information. All of that meant that some Georgia Tech students, in assisting Schumacher with his research, got to watch some of the finest thriller films ever made, including Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. If I had a chance to see North by Northwest and get credit for it, are you kidding me? One of the great tragedies, I think, is that 
almost none of our participants who were college age students uh, reported ever seeing any of the films we showed. And oh. we showed things like North by Northwest and Alien. <laughs> The reason we did that study, or what we were interested in, goes back to one of the things we talked about in terms of trying to make this research relevant to more real-world situations. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is kind of funny for me to say that watching movies is a real-world task uh, because people watch movies to it's entertainment. escape from the real yeah. world. But it's, it's realer than um, you know, the Stroop task. Okay, let's shift our brain's attention for just a second to talk about the Stroop task. It's a test from the 1930s designed to challenge the brain's attention and measure so-called executive function, or the ability to focus and adapt. We are about to give you a list of colored words. As they appear, say the font color of each word aloud as quickly as you can. The Stroop task is given to viewers in this episode of National Geographic's Brain Games. The word blue is shown in the color blue, the word yellow in yellow, and so forth. Then they change the colors of the words, but you are still supposed to say the font color as fast as you see it. It can take people 50% longer to say each color. This is called the Stroop effect, and it relies on interfering signals in your brain that compete for your attention. Schumacher's suspense research delves deeper into this process. So you've got this complex audio-visual uh, stimuli that's unfolding over time, and there's different things that are happening in it. So we were interested in what's happening in the brain, what's happening to these control processes as this narrative unfolds as you watch these clips. Northbourne Northwest was one of them. So the scene we used in that, you may be familiar with it. There was the plane mm -hmm. uh, diving on uh, character Roger, yeah. and he doesn't know why, and it's shooting at him. When the plane is diving, that's a moment of high suspense, and then when the plane sort of is banking for another uh, strafing run, that's mm -hmm. a moment of lower suspense. So what we were interested in is what happens, how do we, as we become more engaged in a film, as suspense increases, how does our information processing system change mm -hmm. to capture that information from the more engaging stimuli? To find out, Schumacher had his subjects lie in an fMRI machine with a video screen over their heads. First, they were shown a blank screen with a cross in the center and distracting, flickering checkerboards all around the screen. The subjects were to count how many times the cross changed colors. Then they were shown the suspenseful movie excerpts and were told to watch it as if they were in a theater. What Schumacher was looking for from the fMRI scans, red areas for increased brain activity, blue for less active, was data on the parts of the brain that process what's noticed on the periphery or edges of their vision. And what we found was that activity to the neurons that process the periphery become less active as suspense increases. Mm -hmm. Neurons in the occipital cortex that process the center of the screen become more active. So as you become more engaged in the film, as the film becomes more interesting, the neurons that collect information from the film become more active, and the neurons that collect information from the world around, outside the film, become less active. Mm -hmm. We also found activity in 
regions that allocate attention, regions that move attention around, that are involved in moving attention around the visual field, are also more active as suspense increases. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned the default mode network, this network of brain regions that are more active when you're internally focused, when you're sort of not engaged in the world, that yeah. became less active. The final point is we tested subjects, participants, after the scan for information that was presented in the movies. So we asked them questions about like what color was the truck that all, that uh, when the end of that clip mm -hmm. uh, with Roger. Um, and we asked them questions like that. And we found that they remembered more after the scan. They remembered more information that was presented at moments of high suspense than low suspense. Schumacher and his team are also trying to find out more about what they call active representation. When you're engaged in a task, you activate uh, knowledge representation. You activate uh, visual information, if visual information is relevant, responses that might be relevant, uh, memories that might be relevant, and attention is guided then through this knowledge representation to achieve um, your, your goals. Mm -hmm. So uh, the daydreaming is sort of an example of when that breaks down. So you've got this active representation, you're trying to achieve some goal, we have multiple goals, so sometimes you end up daydreaming because although you wanted to study, uh, you're, um, you actually at that time didn't want to study. Yeah. Your goal was actually to think about something else. In addition to the potential military and defense applications for this research into cognitive control, Schumacher also sees possibilities to refine teaching methods for attention-challenged students and to improve productivity in the workplace. What about multitasking, that 21st century information age skill? So we have another study uh, that came out last year where we had the same set of stimuli. We used uh, uh, images of faces and buildings uh, and the same set of responses. They pushed buttons with uh, their left and right hand. And we organized it so that under some circumstances, participants thought of the face task and the place task or the building task as separate tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and sometimes they had to do one of those and sometimes they had to do both of those. And we found, not surprisingly, that there was a multitasking cost. When you saw two stimuli and you had to make two responses, you were slower than if you saw one stimulus and had to make one response. Okay. Uh, so that's no surprise. There's a dual tasking, a multitasking cost. Uh, doing two things at once is harder, takes longer. Mm -hmm. You're less accurate than when you are doing one thing. We're investigating now the sort of brain mechanisms related to that. Mm -hmm. um, if that could be expanded outside the laboratory, that's, there is a potential application of that, right? You, could you create situations where in a multitasking situation where it's difficult, is it possible to change that situation somewhat yeah. so it's not no longer multitasking, there's just this larger complex one task. In many situations that won't be possible. You can't combine sure. driving and talking on your cell phone. Those are different and, they're, um, and there's a cost to doing those. But how, how many years did it take for us to come to that conclusion? <laughs> well, if you drive on the roads, you realize <laughs> yeah. many people haven't yet made that <laughs> decision. My thanks to Eric Schumacher, professor in the School of Psychology. Please check out the Cognitive Science at Tech Research Lab website at, appropriately enough, control.gotech.edu.
Our thanks also to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and MGM-UA Entertainment, 20th Century Fox, Fandango, National Geographic Channel, and RKO Pictures for use of film and TV clips. Cyan Joe, formerly a research associate with the School of Psychology, composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast from Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. This is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Thank you for listening.